everybody. It's Al Condalusi um, uh, with the Interdependence Network and the Call Me Al podcast. So uh, welcome to you um, uh, joining in with our conversation today. And, and we have a wonderful, wonderful um, a guest, uh, a dear, dear, longtime friend of mine, Dr. Janet Williams. And Janet and I have been um, colleagues and friends, uh, holy moly, going, going back to the uh, 1980s. And, uh, and so it's so delightful to have uh, Janet with us. So, Janet, welcome to the Call Me Al podcast. Thanks, Al. I just really appreciate this opportunity to chat with you and um, kind of talk about where we've been since 1985 when we met in that big hallway. <laughs> I remember first yeah. seeing you up on the stage. We were, you know, it was this big brain injury conference and all these medical model folks talking about how to fix people. And you're yeah, up there with yeah. your arms in the air going, it's a both community. How do we get people involved? And I yeah. just felt drawn to you like a magnet. And I yeah, think we've pretty yeah. much been attached ever since. Um, Absolutely. And as you yeah. and I know, it's all about the North Star. With that question. And, and those values become so consistent. You know, uh, Janet is referring back to uh, the early days that we uh, began to ally around work with brain injury rehabilitation. And, and at the time, uh, uh, Janet was with the uh, National Head Injury Foundation, as it was known way back then. It has gone through a number of iterations. But, but uh, you know, Janet uh, was working primarily with families uh, connected to the National um, Head Injury Foundation at the time, and um, and and you know, as she just mentioned, we we resonated uh, immediately because it is about the values, and and over these many years, uh, Janet, you've stayed so true uh, to your values, and 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 now you're you're in Kansas. You went uh, on to Kansas to get your, your doctorate and, um, and have since been providing services uh, with your organization, Minds Matter. And I thought maybe we could start this conversation with, um, you know, a little bit about Minds Matter and some of the work that you are doing and have been doing uh, in the Kansas, Missouri area. Yeah, thanks, Al. So I moved to Kansas in 1989 to get my PhD at KU. And I created an interdisciplinary degree around family studies and disability. And one of the things that we know um, in this field is um, you need money to make this model work. And so for us, it was how do we shift the money to the community where people want to live? And how do we, you know, move away from institutions and, and group homes and workshops and how do we help people be of the community as, as you've always said. And so we've really worked hard at that here. Uh, right now we have about 150 employees and we're supporting about 350 people with brain injuries all in their own home. So we don't own any property where anyone lives. We never have. Um, and we're just all about always pushing that edge to help people, um, you know, direct their own staff, control their own lives, and be of the community as much as possible. Mm. Yeah, just such a such a phenomenal model because so much of what happens in services to folks with disabilities, uh, regardless of the emanation of the disability uh, or the type of disability, 
it really moves into silos and systems and and segregative kinds of programs and and services and and you know that's been historic you can go all the way back and look at the advent of institutionalization and and even an institutional model which still exists so powerfully and Janet you've always um you know been like a salmon swimming upstream kind of going against the grain and um you know, serving folks in their own homes is really an exception rather than than the rule. Although we hear from Medicaid and and CMS uh, um, that they, you know, that community is really what they want to do and where they want to go with funding and supports. What's your thought about the rhetoric and the reality? You know, in Kansas, the big talk is right service, right place, right time. We were all very excited about that when managed care came. We're really not seeing that. And part of that is in the funding. In Kansas, our insurance companies get paid the same amount of money for someone to be in a nursing home as someone to be in their own home. Mm -hmm. And you and I know that that affects people with the most significant disabilities the most. It's easier to stick them in a nursing home for 4000 a month instead of paying for those right supports at home, which are a lot more than 4000 a month. So that's where we're seeing the challenges. Um, the mm-hmm. other big challenge is when states decide to abdicate their um, accountability and just hand it over to insurance companies. And right. while we have some really good insurance companies here and, and they're well-meaning, um, systemically, I don't see that shift happening. I don't see more people living in their own home um, and, and being supported. So hmm. it's, it's really, um, it, it's very interesting. And as you said, we're still swimming upstream and fighting it. One of the mm-hmm. positives that's really come of this is the people who are in the silos, the advocates on the ground who traditionally um, usually kind of gravitate to their own label, whether it's IDD, brain injury, physical disability, mental health, seniors, we've all Mm -hmm. come together, all the advocates. And Mm -hmm. uh, we meet every Friday and we talk about how do we support community? How do we make sure that people are able to self-direct their services? How do we get raised up around attendant care um, so people can control their own lives? And I really... um, that has held us together, and mm-hmm. we're starting to see some shifts around that. Mm-hmm. That uh, that sort of notion of gathering like-minded uh, folks and and really looking at the sort of a whole a, a movement kind of mentality, you know, has been has been the reality uh, for social change forever and a day. And um, how do you keep people on track? How do you keep that conversation, you know, robust and energized with your Friday uh, gathering group? What what what's what kinds of ways do you stay focused on that North Star? What we do is we um, come up with what are our common touch points. Um, we have the Disability Rights Center uh, involved with us. We have um, just all these great networks, and we talk about okay, what are the things um, that that are in common for all of us that we're hearing from people with disabilities. And of course we have a lot of people 
um, with disabilities around the table as well. And so we're just always focused on that independent living philosophy. How can people move away from systems? Um, One big one that we've really rallied around this year is the protected income level. When someone's on Medicaid and they're receiving home and community-based services, the state often sets a threshold that people can keep of their Social Security. Kansas Mm -hmm. has become one of the lowest in the country. So the last time we had our oversight meeting with the legislature, nine different groups came from different, you know, labels or, or advocates um, and talked mm-hmm. about increasing that protected income level. So what we do mm-hmm. is we kind of focus on common issues. So protected mm-hmm. income level, employment, how can people get jobs in the community, um, self-directed attendant care, what are the things that people are saying? Housing is another huge one. So We really look at those issues. Um, What I find amusing lately is the insurance company and the healthcare system has started talking about that as social determinants of health. And, you know, the things that we've talked about for, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, which is food, clothing, and shelter, right? Everybody needs food. Everyone needs a place to live Mm -hmm. and everyone needs something meaningful to do. Well, now the insurance companies have discovered social determinants of health and we'll pay you for that. We're like, well, we've been doing that. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's really ironic, isn't it? Uh, uh, In fact, um, you know, again, looking at some of the literature today, and I know you stay uh, so close to um, the kinds of trends that are unfolding, but you know, when you look, uh, when you look at at, uh, the notion of loneliness and social isolation um, uh, have now risen, as one of the top uh, social determinants of health um, across the board. And, it, it, you know, it's sort of out polling smoking and obesity and some of the other, you know, mainstream kinds of uh, things that have determined somebody's, uh, somebody's uh, long-term health. And, and this idea of social isolation and loneliness um, are now becoming uh, these, uh, these hot touch points. Um, you know, uh, uh, Cigna Insurance just did a, a large uh, national survey that looked at uh, loneliness and used the UCLA loneliness scale uh, to measure loneliness across, across the country, not focused uh, on disability, but looking at it, you know, generally or generically and discovered that, you know, loneliness, the loneliness we self-report from people taking this, this survey has gone up 20, 25 percent from the last time a national uh, effort has been done. So, you know, these kinds of things uh, really begin to uh, challenge, I think, um, the conventional thinking about about people's health. Your thoughts on some of that, Janet? Yeah, well, my thought on the whole loneliness conversation is I don't want it to become an excuse for Mm -hmm. nursing homes and providers to say, then we need to congregate more people together so they yeah. won't be lonely yeah. because they have the same yes. label. Um, yeah. You know, it is um, harder work to get out where people live and provide the support to them where they need it. I mean, I remember yeah. going to Pittsburgh and hanging out with your staff. I think it was 19, probably 89 mm. or 90. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. saying this is it. This is what we need mm. to be doing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, mm-hmm these insurance companies want a quick fix. They want yeah. um, people to have instant friends 
instinct community. And the only way you do that is to congregate people together and they think it's cheaper. Where in the long run, if we can walk beside someone in the community and support them and kind of coach them through and then fade out, it's a long-term, more sustainable model. We have fought desperately for that, for people with brain injuries in Kansas. And here we are, you know, 25 years later, and it's still working. Uh, We've just Mm -hmm. had a rewrite of our TBI waiver, and we had some of those big chains coming in, you know, floating the Mm -hmm. idea of wouldn't it be great to have assisted living paid for Mm -hmm. and, you know, the congregate, uh, the new one is called shared living and supported Mm -hmm. housing. And um, (laughs) what that does is it creates dependence. And so mm-hmm. we're calling group homes by a different name instead of helping people be in their own home. Um, yeah, and that's that, my concern around the conversation about yeah. loneliness. Yeah, that's, those are such cogent uh, thoughts, uh, Janet. I, I just read a really fascinating report that came out of the Netherlands that really looked at this um, up, upswing of interest in loneliness. But, but the report was, really cautioning that uh, our immediate knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, let's try to fix the lonely people. Let's try to right. somehow, some way, do something for those lonely people. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and these folks in the Netherlands are saying, hey, no, 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 no. Let's talk about how do we create robust community? How do we shift this from a micro-interpretation of the individual who's lonely to a macro sort of conversation about how does community become more hospitable? How do, how do we make everybody feel like they belong? And so it, 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 the, the caution that these folks in the Netherlands were, were doing was to cause us or, or to have us think about rather than to try to immediately run and fix a problem, loneliness in this case, how do we stay true to this uh, agenda of macro, uh, macro change? Um, and, and I think your point is, is just right on because, you know, you can see, uh, the wheels spinning in the, in the minds of the policymakers or in the minds of the insurers that if we just get a program for those lonely people, then they won't be lonely mm-hmm. anymore and we will solve that problem. You know, right. it's not that easy. You know, it's not that, right. that gets us back to that, that sort of fix the problem mentality. And yeah. that's what I'm really seeing with managed care a lot is we need to fix these problems instead of support community and, and help people with that. You know, the word that you just brought up that I think is really, it goes across everything is how do you belong? How do you belong mm-hmm. somewhere? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I have a 15 year old and she was going into high school and she, uh, in eighth grade, she came home and she said, I want to be a cheerleader. <laughs> Now, you know my girls, and you know me. And I <laughs> yeah, thought, yeah. Uh, cheerleader. Okay, we've done <laughs> soccer, gymnastics, right, right. basketball, theater. In my wildest <laughs> dreams, I didn't think of being a cheer mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But immediately, I shifted and thought, this is where she can belong. These can be her people to introduce her into this huge high school of 500 people, right? They became her gatekeeping group, as you would say, right? And so I think, you know, people need to understand that's what we need to continue to do is find those gatekeepers, help people 
identify the gatekeeper and then fade out and let them live their lives. Um, yeah. One of the biggest yeah. questions I always get is, what is your liability bill? How much does it cost? Well, we have insurance, but I don't mm-hmm. sit around mm-hmm. worrying about liability. I worry yes. about people belonging. So you've got to kind of yes. flip the narrative and talk about yeah. how we can support people to belong and how we can reach out and make people belong. Um, right. You know, you see those stories about kids sitting alone in the lunchroom and we celebrate when one kid goes over and sits with them. Well, why is that even mm-hmm. happening? Why are kids sitting alone? Right. And so right. really like helping people understand that. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, that word that... belonging is just mm-hmm. really, really um, important for all of us. Yeah. You know, and, it, and there's a consciousness piece to all of this as well. Um, that notion, when you look at this sociologically and you sort of think that, you know, that people begin to, um, they begin to connect based on sense of similarity, um, that, that, uh, that notion of what is similar about us that, that it makes us belong or feel like we belong, um, that, that sort of notion um, really, I think, needs to be expanded and explored. You, you know, when you talked about your, your Friday group, the group that gathers on Friday, and you talked about common touch points, um, those are the kinds of things that sort of bridge people. They, they bring people together. People begin to find uh, that, that commonality that creates engagement. And, um, and as, we, as we look at this and think about um, uh, this in a macro kind of a way, how do we raise people's consciousness about that, those common uh, touch points that we all have as, uh, as human beings in community, as members of a community? What are those things that bridge us that, that, that we find um, connectable? And, uh, and, and, you know, and I think therein lies uh, some realities related to how we intervene you know you you were talking a little bit about minds matter and and the support that you're offering to you know some 300 plus people uh in in your area um and that support is not just what your um what your staff or what the folks that are connecting with the 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 men and women you serve um providing to them individually but more, how do we begin to uh, create those bridges to other people? And, and what are the kinds of things that we need to shift and do to get to that point of belonging? Um, your thoughts on that with your staff. As your staff intervene and begin to connect with some of the men and women that you, you, you folks uh, uh, are, are supporting, what are the kinds of things that you're looking at or thinking about in relationship to bridging? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, it's a challenge um, because we're now in, a, in a, a world where we have to justify every minute we spend with people. Uh, we have yeah. to document yes. um, in order to get paid, right? <clears throat> and so that's one yes. side of the coin while holding on to being able to go into and say to somebody, What's your dream life? What do you want to do in five years? How, what do you want right. your life to look like? And how do we yeah. support you to get there? 
Um, and so that's what I'm constantly reminding my staff. Don't get so caught up in justifying every minute. Let's look at how you're going to get there. So yeah, we're yeah. Um, currently working with um, Paul Wayman out of Virginia on an employment uh, project. And yeah. so here we are like living with documenting every minute for our state folk rehab while mm-hmm. doing something called discovery, <laughs> discovering mm-hmm. what you want to do. But then we have the voc rehab counselor saying, this case isn't getting closed fast enough. And we're saying, <laughs> but yes, you know, we're going to do three situational assessments. We're going to find that dream job and we're going to make sure it works. Instead of saying, you know, there are eight greeter positions at this place we're the eight people we can put in that position. So it really, you, it it is a constant reminder, even having this conversation and talking about where people belong and how you can consciously help them become connected, standing beside and supporting instead of getting in front and leading. Um, And that's something you and I have had so many conversations about. Um, yeah. You know, we go into the helping profession to fix people and to, right. so we thought, right? And right. so we want to lead people by the hand and say, here are your new friends and you're all going to get along <laughs> now. And then, <laughs> yeah. um, but we know it's so yeah. much more subtle than that. Yeah. The other, yeah. you know, one of our number one um, referral sources right now is substance abuse and domestic violence. And so mm. we're working with a lot of people who've had brain injuries, um, you know, being involved in, in bad relationships. And so helping people find those good relationships is not something that's easy to document and that can take a long time. And so Mm -hmm. that whole belonging piece, that whole self-worth and really, you know, seeking out positive interactions Mm -hmm. and relationships is something we talk about all the time without us being the expert and the boss, but supporting people to have the life that they want. Yeah. 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 And staying again, staying focused and true uh, to those kinds of realities. You know, the, the point that you just made was uh, again, so powerful because, you know, human beings want to be, you know, our need for affection our our need to be, um, you know, to, to not just belong, but to, but to, to, to be valued, to be loved, uh, uh, to, 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 to be wanted uh, by other people. That is such a powerful lure. And, and when, when, you know, you intersect that drive with um, limited opportunity, uh, maybe even some challenges to judgment uh, about those situations, um, boy, you know, that, that can create some, some toxic kinds of, um, uh, situations. I, you know, I think we've all, we all can trade, um, you know, uh, stories of situations that have occurred where people have made themselves open uh, to something. And then, I mean, that happens across the board with anybody, whether there's a disability imposed or not. Um, and 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 yet, you know, when something like something toxic happens, you know, the system swoops down and says, "Okay, this is bad. You know, we're gonna you're gonna be gigged. This is wasn't right. You shouldn't have. You know, you didn't do your duty of care." And on and on mm-hmm. and on. So 
there's this tug between the, what the system expects and what community and reality, um, uh, you know, has in store in many situations. You know, you and I have often talked about the right to risk and some of the, some of the risking that happens in, in community. And, and obviously we want to lessen, um, you know, some bad effects of risk, but those, those are there. Yet systems want things to be perfect. And that, that's a frustrating reality that really pushes, I think, organizations to then begin to create those silos and those cocoons uh, because they don't want people um, to have bad things happen and they don't want to uh, hear the feel the ripple effect of those of, of those bad things and nobody wants bad things to happen what's your thoughts on that that struggle um, between and this, this is a perfect people- example yeah if, if if the leader of an organization is not willing to take those risks it's just not going to happen so yeah. one of the things that I've seen evolve within our organization is incident reports like, why do we need incident mm-hmm. reports? <laughs> Last week, you know, yeah. and, and it, somehow the software got set up, so I get them in my email. And yeah. um, all of a sudden, I'm starting, like, to read them and say, that doesn't need an incident report. Why are we doing incident reports? And someone said to me, well, the therapists are concerned about their license. They want it documented somewhere. Like, we don't need an incident report. You know, but you're right. I mean, it becomes just a continual CYA, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Our state has a new adverse incident report, and they have a whole list of things that we have to report. And mm. we do, but it, it always goes against the grain. Like, do I want someone in my house filing an incident report every time I have a seizure? Seizure is part of my disability. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but the right. state says we want to know, and the insurance mm-hmm. company then has to follow up. So they call and say, "Are you taking your medication?" Well, they don't know the situation. They don't know right. she had you know twenty seizures a year ago. Now she has one, and you call and ask if she's taking her medication. How about you come yeah. over here? And we'll tell you <laughs> how great it is that she's only having one seizure. Um, yeah. So those yeah. are you're right. I mean, it's mm. just so easy to um, fall into that trap of over-professionalizing everything um, right, and right. trying to, as they say, what, is, what do they say insurance, mitigate risk? Well, life yes, is risky, yes. and so right. you need to go yeah. risk. Um, yeah. There are things that, you know, I believe. I believe that if someone wants to drive, you don't hand them the key. You know, there are mm-hmm. things that you have to do to be able to drive. It doesn't mean that, um, everyone with a brain injury can't drive. It means everyone has the opportunity to go through all of those steps that someone without a brain injury goes through to see if you can drive. Um, and yeah. so sometimes we just put these irrational um, limits on people because they have some type of a label instead of saying, mm. how does it work for me? How does it work mm. for my teenagers? Let's right. let's apply those same standards. Um, yeah. And so yeah. that that I think is critical, and it really takes constant leadership because it's easy to become complacent and kind of blind to that. Like I'm moving on, doing sure. other things, and then one one night I'm going, 
incident reports. Why do we have incident <laughs> reports? Um, and so you have to just be in a questioning mind at all times of whatever's happening within your organization yeah. without micromanaging, but asking yeah. the big question. Um, yeah. And so now yeah. I throw it back to everybody and go, why do we need incident reports? Mm-hmm. And they, mm-hmm. you know, 50 things come out of their mouths and I say, rethink it and come back <laughs> to me. Let's talk about it. Does it need to be called something else? And what do we really need yeah. to know about yeah. it that's going <laughs> yeah. on in someone's house? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know, we could, I could talk with you forever, Janice, because you're, you're such a, um, a, a cogent uh, thinker on these things. But let me just, let me just pose as we're, we're, we're running out of time and I have a couple dogs that are barking, um, <laughs> you know, that see the mailman <laughs> coming uh, to our place. But let me just ask one, one last point of reflection. And that is where, where do you see this going? What, what do you see happening uh, down the road? What, what, what lies in the future? What, What's um, next? You know what? I see some very promising things that I, as I said, I'm concerned are going to become institutionalized. One is this whole, whole loneliness conversation. Um, but, you know, the feds are now mandating. There's a final rule that people need to be living in their own home. You know, right. you and I have been doing that forever. We'll yeah, see if everybody yeah. else can catch up with us. Yeah, um, and now yeah. they have individualized service plans. Everyone has to have their own plan. I'm like, really? It's 2018. We've been doing that since 1960, mm-hmm. right? And right. so um, yeah. I see regulation starting to catch up with us. Um, and yeah. I do see the shift to people being at home because I see these institutions becoming far more corporate um, and the care is not as good. I mean, we just had a mm-hmm. huge article about a nursing home here where they had like one CNA for 35 people living there. Um, Mm. and they went in and just found deplorable conditions and it's owned by, you know, a mega billionaire somewhere, um, Mm. who has absolutely no connection. So I think we're going to get back to community more, the more we all scream about it. Um, you know, the way that we, our group came together, the CAN network was, um, you know, it, it was around this whole corporatization and this whole medicalization of disability. And how yeah. do we hold true to the roots of what we believe in Kansas, which is people need to be in their own home. Um, and yeah. so yeah. they can come in and they can try and make things happen, but they know that we're here and we're watching and we're going to continue to speak out. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I see the shift happening. I see yeah. um, people really wanting to live at home and speaking about that more. I, I, I love the, the, the sense of optimism and, and you know, uh, good things have to um, uh, unfold. It, it has to happen. And I, I think with advocates like you, um, Janet, out there, um, really continuing to stay true to the values, um, I think that the, the future holds some very bright things. Um, I want to thank uh, um, uh, our guest uh, today, Dr. Janet Williams, uh, for sharing some ideas and thoughts and maybe even some, uh, some crystal ball um, uh, uh, reflections on, on our, where supports uh, and where full and inclusive community um, uh, it may be going uh, down the road. Um, you've been listening to the Call Me Al podcast uh, uh, that's produced by the Interdependence Network. You can find us on iTunes, 
You can find us uh, on our website, buildingsocialcapital.org. Um, we, um, we, we always are open for ideas that you have about uh, guests that we can, um, that we can uh, talk with and, 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 and get ideas uh, out there for macro community change. Uh, I want to thank uh, my, my uh, dear friend, uh, Janet Williams, for taking some time with us this afternoon. Janet, thanks so much for, for, for coming on the uh, podcast. It is great to catch up, Al, as always, and um, I look forward to our future collaborations. Um, I, I am 